Here we go. Rejecting the screen. The Going ISO edition as we do every week with all sorts of folks who have touched the NBA in all sorts of ways. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Out West is Adam Stenko, our guest today, the Utah Jazz radio play-by-play voice for the past 12 seasons and the founder and CEO of this Locked On podcast network. He's David Locke. David, have you ever looked at somebody the same way you look at Rudy Gobert? Um, yeah, hopefully my wife, you know, 20 years ago on our wedding day or maybe my daughter 16 years ago on her birthday but or my son. I like Rudy Gobert an awful lot. I, he is the ultimate example of the player that if you're watching them every day and you're a student of the game, that you have a much higher regard for that player than somebody who watches them once a year on TNT or sits on a TNT desk and doesn't watch them at all. Um, and so in that circumstance, you have a great respect for him. And I think you have a frustration, frankly, that he's not given the respect that he deserves i mean he got the max contract so i don't know what other respect but you know in the current time the jazz have the best record in the nba i would think that their best player or most impactful player would be in the mvp voting so then how do you get through to Shaq, and is that the goal to get through to shaquille o'neal specifically well, to Shaquille O'Neal specifically, obviously it's jealousy. It has nothing to do with the game. It has to do with the salary. That's more than something Shaq ever made. And he's, fr- I mean, that, right. Like it's my, you know, you're in my yard. All these, it's why I respect, like I work with Ron Boone, who was the third all-time leading scorer in the history of the ABA. He's been in the league for 50 years. And he admires, respects, and cherishes and promotes the new players in the new game. I've never heard him once, you know, he'll quibble every now and then when we run a fast break for a three with a wide open layup. Okay. Well, you know why? Cause that's actually just not a very good basketball play. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really respect those players who understand former players who understand that their time ended and that there's another generation that's working just as hard as they did and deserves the same respect that they deserved when they played. And therefore, you know, puts the spotlight on him. It's a, it's a pleasure to work with Ron Boone every day who does that in contrast to frankly, the shtick that Shaq is putting on every day right now, where really he's, he and Charles and Kenny are the most powerful voices of this league. And I understand that they're the most entertaining show on television and I'm no different than anyone else. I have my DVR set to record inside the NBA, not the Thursday night game. Right. Like I watch that show all the time. They're fabulously entertaining, but they do a disservice to the product that is the league when they're the most respected voices and they either aren't researched or aren't respectful to the modern player. To that end, David, I've heard that you've spoken about your frustration that, hey, I broadcast games for the jazz, but I also. I have to set my bias aside and and talk about what I'm seeing. So based upon already fighting off the national perspective or narrative that's coming from inside the NBA, what do you feel like your role is in terms of, let's say, defending the team? That's interesting. I probably don't have a role of defending the team. Like, it's probably not my role. 
Um, my role is probably to simply communicate what's going on on the floor um, every night to the listener as the play-by-play announcer of the team. And anything beyond that is probably distracting me from doing what my job is. Like, if we're really honest about it, like our TV announcer, Craig Bullerjack, is one of the great broadcasters in the business. I could learn an awful lot by just broadcasting instead of pontificating some of the time. So I actually would say that the answer to that question as a broadcaster of the team is I probably should have none. Um, And I would do my job better if that was the answer. It's a weird world, right? Like we live in a Twitter sphere and a Facebook and um, I got fired as the Seattle supersonic announcer back in whatever that was, 2007. Oh, you guys, that's right. I'm dealing with the research um, people. Um, And I, I, I decided to go on a Joe DiMaggio hit streak of lunches. Like when you get fired, it's on the front page of the sports page. You actually, people will buy you lunch. They feel pretty bad for you. So I figured I could get like 56 straight days of free lunches. If I just went out for lunch with people. And one of the guys I went out for lunch with was this man named Dan Levitan. He's a uh, head of Mavron venture capital firm, which is Howard Schultz's venture capital firm. And Uh, He said to me at the time, hey, you know, before you take your next job, there's this company out of the Bay Area called Twitter that's starting up. You probably should figure that out. And if you haven't figured out Facebook yet, you you probably should figure that out because I think it's going to be a large part of your next job. Talk about lunches that were like well worth whatever. And he probably paid. Uh, Well, he is the head of Mavron's. He probably should pay. Um, But anyway, my point on that is that we don't live in a world where you just call 82 games anymore. Like if you do that, you're probably not doing your job also. So it's a complicated question, Adam, in the sense that I don't think a play-by-play announcer, if I was talking to a young aspiring broadcaster, I would tell them you've better find a way that you're touching your fan three, 250, 300 days a year. Um, I don't think you can just call 82 games anymore and call that your job. So how do you do the job as a broadcaster without allowing the other stuff to seep in? I'm probably not very good at that. I know we want to go back a bit, but staying with the end of the Sonics and then before you get the jazz job, how did you, sure, lunches help, but how how did you emotionally bounce back from that? Probably not very well. Um I built a podcast network so that I wouldn't get fired again. It turned out okay. Um, I mean, a little bit locked on jazz was off of the concept that I am following a legendary play-by-play announcer in Hot Rod Hunley. I was the second radio voice in the history of the franchise. We kind of know what happens to the second voices, right? Like Rick Riz is a fabulous announcer, tried to follow Ernie Harwell in Detroit, and Rick Riz has gone on to his next job and held it for a long, long time in Seattle. Like The second ones aren't very good. Don't do very well. I hadn't done very well following Kevin Calabro as the second radio voice of the Sonics. I lasted a season. So I just was trying to find, you know, you're just protecting your flank. You're trying to find something else. And so that was where the podcast originated from was that model of what I'm talking about, trying to make sure you're interacting with the fan more than just 82 games a year and doing something different. I think getting fired is really good for you. Um, I work probably better and harder and with more respect. I probably was had a pretty high level of hubris at that age, at that stage of my career. I had um, written down on a piece of paper at some age, probably absurdly young of what my career was going to be. And I'd followed every step of the way. So there was no belief at whatever that was. So whatever you guys said, 2008. So I was 
38 years old. Um, there was no kind of belief that anything could ever go wrong. I was married to a fabulous woman. We had two kids, like things seemed pretty perfect. And so to get fired was probably one of the best days of my life. Not one of the worst days. It took some time to get there. Um, but I would, I'm not sure that the hubris is bad um, and leads to a lot of mistakes. And I probably was going to be full of it if I'm not already. Adam's car is a mess. He's been spending more time on rockauto.com than any other website, which is hard to believe given his website history. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So just go to rockauto.com. You can shop for all the auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, everything you could possibly need in a catalog that's so easy to to navigate. You just go just a few clicks and you can find everything. Choose the brand specifications, the prices you prefer, and those prices at rockauto.com reliably low and the same for professionals, do-it-yourselfers, and like us, the try-it-yourselfers. So go to rockauto.com right now. You can see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so that they know we sent you. Locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D space on. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. February is Black History Month, and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of Black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than a Game. Don't miss this week's episode featuring Candace Cooper of Locked On Tar Heels and Erica Ayala of Locked On Women's Basketball discussing the opportunities and challenges that come with being a Black woman in sports. There's a new episode coming next week, so go ahead and subscribe to the Locked On Presents podcast feed on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. How how concerned were you at that at that time that you wouldn't have an NBA job again? Oh, I yeah, I was sure. Yeah, no, I thought I had my life dream. I got it for a year, but actually, that was a little bit of my. I kind of knew it was coming. If you go back and ever like someone ever finds the tape of, I think our last game that year was against Kobe and the Lakers, and like I called that game pretty straight. Like there was not a lot of Sonic play by play announcer. That was the year Kobe um, went off for eighty and had the you know had them all the 50 point scoring games and like i remember like there's a call where like kobe hits a fadeaway on the right baseline as like kobe's got 38 and he's staring 50 right in the eye again like it's not really a call you make as the seattle supersonic play-by-play announcer like i kind of went into that game kind of with the thought of like okay this is probably the last game i ever get to call in my nba history so let's really cherish it so i don't think you know i mean i was really really pro seattle and there was new ownership and you just kind of knew you probably weren't going to be a part of the ship as it was where it went well uh, I, I do want to go back. Noah mentioned it at the beginning, and it's funny because you talk about that being the last game, and now you think about all that you've done, not just with the Jazz, but obviously with Locked On. But from the beginning, now I've heard this story now as I, as I was doing my research that you were 8 years old, then it was 11 years old, but regardless, you're with your father, Hal, you're visiting Utah, and you hear the jazz game broadcast on the radio, you say, that's a cool job. I'd like to have it someday. How much truth is there to that story? So it's clear close. So my dad was in the ski business in Utah. Uh, We lived in the Bay Area, but my dad was in the ski business in Utah. And so we would schedule our vacations to Utah largely around like the jazz schedule. So uh, the jazz actually used to always take a pre-Christmas road trip. So my dad's sponsor for his company was Pepsi. Pepsi was a sponsor of the Salt Palace. So we had these like six seats. Like we had the night where my dad yelled at Mark Olberding, 
name that only NBA people really remember that you look, you make Kurt Rambis look athletic and Mark Olberding turned around and told my dad to F off. Um, so that was like a legendary family moment. <laughs> um, so um, we were spending a good deal of time in Utah. Um, the Jazz were my favorite team because I was probably somewhat of an iconoclast as a child because, you know, I had to root for somebody different. And my, but but on the other end, like we did go to games and had great seats and sat there and like just for funny stories, because that's what you guys are all about. Um, on two different occasions, I had my program signed by a jazz player and one like, you know, like, remember the old days where like in the program, hey, if your program is signed on page 27 by Ricky Green, you win a Zales watch. I actually won that twice in my life as a kid like, and went out to midcourt and got the watch. I still have one of them. Um, so. Uh, anyway, the backstory on that is, is that as an only child, I was an only child as a kid and I did, I announced, I used to play all-star baseball. Did you guys, either of you old enough to remember the old spinner, seven and 13 mm -hmm. singles, 11's a double, yep. one's a home run. So I used to play those yep. games at a very young age and announce them. So probably six, seven, eight, nine years old, I would announce it. I would do a pregame show. I would do a halftime show. I would do a postgame show. I interviewed Babe Ruth all the time. Um, uh, when I we were a little older than that, my buddy Chris Bischoff, who's gone on to change people's lives and build one of the most remarkable schools in the world, where he, uh, for 20 straight years, has sent kids to college who nobody in their family's ever been to college before. Um, and every kid in the school who's ever graduated from high school has gone to four-year um, institution. It's in the Bay Area. It's called Eastside Preparatory. He's my hero in life. Um, just got to give him a plug because frankly, he's done a lot more than I have, but we would play wiffle ball in the backyard and keep stats, um, which would surprise no one who's ever listened to me. So that's always what I was going to do. So yes, I was driving uh, Wasatch Boulevard somewhere between nine, 10, 11 hot rod is I, my memory is interviewing John drew. And I say, I, I want to be that guy. So that is that part. Sorry. It took me a long time to get there, Adam, but like that part of the story is a hundred percent true that at nine, 10 or 11 years old, somewhere in that range, I, I said, I wanted to be the Utah jazz radio play by play announcer. Wow. So wait, so I, I do have to ask then, what do you do the day that you get the jazz job then? Like how much of that recollection comes, comes flooding back? Oh, I mean, that's been the driving force for every day. So it wasn't like recollection. I mean, that's like, I don't really know what else I would have done. Like, I don't think I really have a skill set that's anything else. Like, I've never, like, people have asked me that before. I have no idea. I'd never thought of ever doing anything else. Like, I mean, I did a talk show for a while, and there was a period of time I played college baseball. I wasn't good. I had a, a zip code that was a Cal, I had a California zip code for an ERA. So that's not something that really leads to playing time. Um, so I, I would, but I never, I just never, I mean, my dad had to redirect me once. Um, would probably be the only time I ever lost my bearings a little bit. I, um, I kind of, I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer for a while. Um, that was kind of the other thing that was in my mind and, and wanted to do. And then civil rights got funky in the, in the nineties, civil rights became affirmative action law, which I, you know, personally I'm a fan of affirmative action, but it's not the same. It's not the same concept of what affirmative action, what civil rights law seemed to be what I was looking for. My dad redirected me kind of at that point and said, Somewhere between my sophomore and junior year, like 
hey, kid, like all you've ever done is run around the house and announce games and think you were Bill King as a child and scream Holy Toledo with a high-pitched voice. And we put a television, we allowed you to splice cable and put a television in your room because we were so tired of you yelling and screaming at the television with a child because it was unbearable as a parent. So like, could you actually get back on track? Because <laughs> um, we had to live with all that hell. So could you actually do something that like was back to that? So I got, but other than that, I mean, Adam, I don't really, I mean, get, uh, I mean, I, the day I was named the jazz announcer was a very special day. Um, uh, I could get emotional here for a few reasons. One, uh, I was very close with the owner, Larry H. Miller, the late Larry H. Miller. So that had, that had a tremendous amount of emotion to that. Um, my, my son was old enough at the press conference to take it in, which was really cool. Um, and then, you, you know, I was back in the NBA. So those three things actually were probably riding more than um, the idea that I had, um, you know, fulfilled what I wanted to do as a kid. That's a weird concept. That's actually a, we, we I can go see a shrink about the fact that when you knock off lists and you don't know what's next. <laughs> but it seems like you had great respect for your dad. Oh, he's best. Yeah. No, he was my best friend. So, ah, and I get to see him tomorrow for the first time in, well, I've seen him once I, I drove to go see him, but so I get to, I get to hug him for the first time in, in a year. Right. Cause he's, he's been vaccinated. And so that'll be sweet. Added to the list of things that the past 365 days have presented us with, but on the jazz broadcasting side, what is the setup like and preparation and execution to call a road game? Now, this is a hard question, Noah, because I don't want to sound like I'm not, like it sucks. Okay. So that's like the first comment. And then mm-hmm. let me make all the other comments. So that's the overriding comment. So then let me make all the other comments. Our organization has given us the best chance to succeed in a difficult circumstance. We have an awesome setup. They've been great to us in the bubble. They were way ahead of the game understanding what to do. So in this setup, we have the best chance of success of anyone. You can't, see the whole game or the feel the whole arena or feel see what's going on on the bench or see any of the things that you want to see when you're a play-by-play announcer in an arena for a game you're taking in all of it and deciphering what's important and what's not and if you've done it for enough years you don't actually realize all the things you're taking in that you see i mean no you've done this you know Like there's just stuff that's happening that you take in off the ball or on the bench or simple. Mm -hmm. Derek Favors was late to coming out for the bench last night. Like that was like a moat, like that mattered. Like you just see all these different things. It gives you a feel, a texture and emotion. You can see how they're walking to the bench. You can see how they're greeting each other. You don't even consciously know what those things are, but they're forming your opinion. When you're calling a game off a television, Somebody else is choosing what you see at all times. And so you can't feel or tell the game. I'm hopefully getting better at, we still have a story to tell. We just played in Indiana the other night. I left that game for the first time feeling like, okay, we told a good story tonight. I don't have any idea what's going on with the players, what that trip was like. It was three games in like 60 hours. They can't leave the hotel right now. I talked to our coaches all the time because they're my good friends really so i have a feel but you can't do the job the way it once was done um and there's so many things the listeners not getting 
I don't even know that the listener knows that they're not getting. I have everybody comes up to me all the time. Oh, you can't even tell you're not there. Like, actually, you can. You don't know it. But like, I didn't ride the elevator with Donovan to find out one little thing. And they're not always important, right? Like last year when Donovan's uh, sister, Jordan, decided to go to American University, um, I happened to be on the elevator that day. And Donovan was so excited for her. That he shared it with me. Well, okay, well, that's a neat little tidbit, right? That you're just sharing. It tells you a lot, like simple tidbit, but Donovan Mitchell, superstar athlete, just coming off his about to go to his first all-star game is most excited on this given day that his younger sister is going to go to American university has chosen that for her school. Like that actually tells you a tremendous amount of who Donovan is, what's important to him, what his personality is, which like, you're not getting any of those. From a basketball standpoint, like Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert this year figured that out. Well, I haven't been to a practice. I probably you, you would have seen them working on things. You could have then gone to ask Mike and said, hey, Mike, what was that you were working on? And you get all these little things. So the listener doesn't even know all the things they're not getting right now, but they're not getting them. But in the setup of what we have in the world we live in, our organization has given us as much chance to succeed as you can. But it's not the same job. And it's it's you're not doing it well. So what is that setup? What's it look like? Uh, so we're at our we're at the same broadcast site, home versus or road. Mm-hmm. Um, so this right now, last year we were during the bubble, we were just separated by like 12 feet, 15, 14 feet. Now we now have plexiglass between us. Um, I have two monitors in front of me. I have one, which is the TV monitor. And then I have another, which is just kind of an open. So which is kind of let it, which is just like the kind of the it's called i think it's called the a shot or something it's just the wide shot for the whole arena so that you Mm -hmm. like if if tv's running production i can actually see what's going on on the floor i can see who's coming out you don't see substitutions anymore which is brutal as a radio announcer like guys show up on the floor out of nowhere oh hey wow where'd he come from like um so uh we we call it off the big screen in the arena we have one of those massive big screens um they've done a really good job of syncing the um, everything and the effects we had um, monster truck in our arena. So we had to move back to the studio and my effects were two seconds ahead of what was happening. So I was hearing what was happening before I saw it, which worked okay until um, Giannis pulled up for an end of the half buzzer beater. And I heard the horn go off. So I said that he was late and it wouldn't count and it did count. That wasn't so good. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. so pleased with that one, um, but you know, the, the horn went off my ear and instinctually 20 years of broadcasting, you say, Oh, it's late. And then right. a second and a half later he shoots and it's good. So yeah, there've been, but our crew again, uh, I think our engineers fixed that. So our guys are working really, really hard to get it done. I'm appreciative. It's not the same thing. We all know that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Sure. The NFL is over. Still got plenty of NBA and college troops and, Tournaments right around the corner. NHL is in full swing. BetOnline even covers award shows. Ah, whew. That's dicey. Real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you could possibly imagine. So head to BetOnline.ag, BetOnline.ag. Use your mobile device as well. You can sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts, and make sure you use that promo code locked on L-O-C-K-E-D, on, locked on. To get your 50% welcome bonus, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. When you need fantasy basketball advice, it's important that you have a reliable source, and we have the most reliable source 
in Josh Lloyd, host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Subscribe to the number one fantasy basketball podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, wherever you get your podcasts. David, I want to go back because we're talking about how difficult it is now. It's almost been a year now. Uh, March 11th, the day the NBA stopped and Sports World stopped, and then subsequently the rest of the world stopped. Um, you take us back to the first moment that things started to get really weird for you. Oh, well, you saw the doctor run out. Like we were so Oklahoma City, we have a really nice broadcast site. We were perched up, uh, we're probably 25 rows up. It's actually the perfect like everyone says you want to be on the floor. There's a value to that. You can feel the game, but you also can see the game, you know, from 20 rows up a little bit. Um, we have a great broadcast site in Oklahoma City. It's really well set up. You could see the doctor run out on the floor. Um, and so you knew something was going on. Um behind the scenes. I can't get into details, but Quinn Snyder's leadership that day was world-class. You know, really one of the most, that's the, my takeaway from that day of all the other things that took place. And I have a lot of them. It's a day, obviously I'll never forget is Quinn Snyder's leadership that day uh, allowed all of us to feel comfortable and have success. That was a pretty good script as a broadcaster by which you could have really made some horrendous mistakes. And um, and and so we got through it. Um, but it was weird. You, you, you know, none of us knew, right? I spent that day at um, Jones Assembly, which is a nice restaurant right next to our hotel, on the phone with Tim Roy of the Warriors and Alan Horton and the Timberwolves discussing how we were going to try to call games without fans in the crowd the next day because the Warriors had announced they weren't going to have fans. Like we didn't really get where we were going. Um, so I just don't think there was a lot, lot of awareness or knowledge is probably a better word, knowledge of all the things that were taking place as they were happening. But you said that Quinn Snyder's leadership is just off the charts and that's what got you through it. Is there, is there anything you can share about specifically what he did do that allowed you all to feel that way? You just knew someone was taking care of you. Scary moment. Um, interesting. Cause I wasn't particularly scared. And then my phone started blowing up and everyone was acting like I was about to die. Um, which I guess yeah. time we weren't sure what it really meant. Right. So like my phone literally, like I still, like I still have this weird thing where like I'll text someone and I'll see that their last message to me was March 11th. Cause I didn't get back hmm. to I didn't get back to people like not well, I mean, not because I like just we didn't get like there were too many people. Right. <laughs> there was, um, and so um, just you knew someone was taking care of you. I think that's from the throughout the whole day that that's what mattered. How many times have you been tested? Well, now we get tested before every game. So uh, I will say so that, first, that first test and. Who knows if my memory is accurate to my experience and to the poor women in Oklahoma who tested us. I you'll never see them again in my life. I have no idea who they are, but in retrospect, my gosh, what a terrifying night for them. Right? Like, I think actually, if you go back through the story, like Tulsa had had a case or two, but I don't think they'd had a case in Oklahoma city. We might've been like the first people ever tested in Oklahoma city for all we know. 
And so these poor people suddenly were in their hazmat gear walking into this room of what they thought was 50 positive tests, right? We all thought all of us were positive. There's no chance we thought that no one was positive or that Donovan was the only one that was else that was positive. Like like we, we'd all been on an airplane together. We were in a locker room together. We like, come on, there was no chance. We all had it, right? That was the, there was no question in our minds at that point that we'd all heard about how contagious it was and et cetera. So these poor women who came in and tested us They must have been terrified. I mean, you talk about frontline workers on the very first day. This isn't even Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what their jobs are or who they were. I I don't know that they're nurses. I I, I don't know anything about these people, but I think about them all the time in retrospect of like, what must, how terrified were they that night? And let me tell you what, they touched both my eyeballs. Like, I don't know if they knew, like, I don't know if anyone knew how to give the tests, right? Like that nose thing went like, I mean, it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my whole life. And like, I just about gagged and threw up all over them when they put it down my throat. Like, if you think about like, 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 I don't think anyone had like prepared them on how to give a COVID test. They didn't know. Like, like, No one knew on March 11th at eight o'clock in the morning that they were giving 50 tests that night. And it was like it was serious. I've been tested a million times now. We've advanced a great deal. I've had the full test again. Even when I had the full test again, like it wasn't anywhere near that. Like, so I, again, I, there's no criticism to them. It's just kind of really when you, those are the things I think about that night as much as anything is like, I mean, I remember the beat reporters basically being told, this is a great example of Quinn Snyder, basically being told they couldn't board a plane. They had been exposed to COVID and they weren't allowed to board a plane. So they were like trying to figure out like if they could rent one of our guys actually wasn't going back to Utah. He's going back to Denver. He had to rent a car to drive to Denver. The B- Quinn Snyder then takes the beat reporters and puts them on our chartered plane and gets them home. That's an example of what I'm talking about with Quinn Snyder. Um, and I'm sure there were other people other than Quinn, but for me, it felt like it was Quinn. Um so like that night, that's what I, I remember the head of the epidemiologist of Oklahoma. I remember Angela Dunn who's like legendary in Salt Lake. Now she's our epidemiologist, like meeting all of us in the plane hangar afterwards and talking to us about like what we were about to embark upon. And like you, she'd have all our information. And then you ask her the third and fourth question. And like the information started to fall, like it ended, like there, we just didn't know. Right. She kept, like kept saying, well, it's a novel virus. Like, like we just didn't know. So sorry. That's a, I'm all over the place, but that was. Um, I don't know what to even ask me anymore. That's a crazy. <laughs> That's a, it's just. I think about it every day. I think about that every day. So, so here's the other one. That's the chaos. That's the fear. At what point do you breathe again? Have we started? On some level, I mean, of course, of course, it's all relative. But I just mean from that, that. Uh oh, like you're getting the texts, they're coming in from all over, like you said, and all of a sudden fear sets in, hazmat suits, all that. At what point did you say, you know, you call your wife and say, I'm going to be all right. I'm, I'm okay. Well, I called her when I tested negative. So that was the stunner of all stunners. Um, I mean, I went to dinner the night before with Quinn Snyder and Alex Jensen. Alex Jensen is Rudy Gobert's coach. Rudy actually probably was supposed to be the fourth person at that dinner and didn't feel well. Um, but Quinn Snyder had been in a film session with Rudy the day before Alex works with Rudy every single day. Like everyone around me thought I was in positive. Like there was no question. So yeah, I guess, you know, I had 
you know, we all have family dynamics, right? So my wife and daughter were at a ski race in Idaho. My son was home alone. He's 18, but we don't really like to leave, you know, we don't usually leave our 17 year old home alone. I guess 17 at the time. So I, the kind of the plan was he was coming back from a, a different ski race and I was going to come home that night. So there was going to be a four hour window where he was by himself. Like he could handle it. He, but well, all of a sudden I called him. I'm like, okay, dad's not coming home for two weeks. Like that was like the call. Like hmm. the chances are I'm not home for like two weeks. Mom will be home Sunday. Let's figure out what we need to do to get you taken care of between now and Sunday. Like, that was like my planning. And then I tested negative. So I've heard a lot about hockey parents, soccer parents, baseball parents. What are ski racing parents like? Poor. <laughs> oh. Financially and emotionally. I'm more interested in the emotional side. Uh, I think it's a wonderful sport. Our, we've just had, our kids have been in a program the whole time where, um, we don't do anything. We're not involved. We show up at races and watch them for a split second if they don't crash before they get to us. Um, so, I mean, I'm not trying, like, my wife's amazing. My, my son's really big into it. He'll ski in college. My wife's amazing. She'll talk to my son, like, all, all the time, every day, and then I'll be like, how's he skiing? She's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I have to then pick up the phone and be like, hey, how are you skiing? And... Huh. Like it's, I think it's the most important thing is life. So I ask him about it, but like we were very fortunate. There's a high level Academy here called the Romark ski Academy that our kids went to. Um, and so you just let them do it. That's what they're, they're experts. They know what they're doing. We don't have anything to do with it. I don't have any idea what they're learning or how to do it. So I, I'm poor. I mean, I, I grew up going skiing, but not, but not ski racing. Now I've been thinking about like getting yeah, our daughter night- on skis next winter. Um, so I would do it. Uh, I ha- can give you all the reasons why I think skiing is great for kids. So, um, for whether they're racers or not, um, mm-hmm. one is, uh, it teaches them at a very early age that instruction leads to competency. Um, number two, um, I learned this from my daughter. We were skiing kind of a blue run. She was probably three and a half, four, and she skied it great. And she got down and then I followed, she was probably 300 yards away from me. I got there in what, 10 seconds. And I'm about to like, you know, do the dad pride thing. Like, Oh my gosh, you're amazing. She looks at me. It's like, I was so far away from you. Let's do that again. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, and so she went for the rest of the day. She skied really far away from me. Well, you think about like a city street, you'd never let your kid like get five steps away from you. You let them get 500 yards away from you on a ski slope. So it teaches them a wonderful amount of, of independence. And then it's the only sport really in the world where kids can be as good as adults really quickly. Right. Like in every other sport that you watch your kid, like if you're really honest about it as a parent, they're pretty awful. Right. Like the fifth grade girls basketball game is not good. Um, <laughs> and tennis and tennis is not really that good either um, at, at that age. So skiing is actually the one sport where the kids can be equal to adults at a really early age. So I'm a I'm a big proponent of it. Um, a funny story, though, and then we can switch off any discussions of injuries um, is my son was 16 and just got his driver's license. So like there was a pretty strict, he drives a pretty big freeway to school every day, but it was a pretty strict rule. Like you're not allowed to go over 75. And then he did his first di- downhill race at Schweitzer. And he texts me and says, don't tell mom, but I want 79 in the speed trap. So he was going 79 on skis, but 75 in a car. It seemed like things were a little out of whack. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell mom. As I was going through the research on you that I was fascinated by, so again, 
don't know the truth. There's always these unbelievable David Locke rumors that swirl around. But graduation gift, your father buys you 13 half-hour spots on LA radio. I want to know, what would I be hearing if I got a chance to hear those now? Um, so, by the way, can there ever be a better example of like, one percent white privilege on the face of the planet just like openly address what that is right there um come from a nice family come up with the idea that your graduation gift is literally to buy the start of your career like let's just be perfectly open about what that was um that is a true story i uh a friend of mine in college i've actually i'm taking the dennis Lindsay jazz general manager approach to this interview Dennis is really smart. He's figured out that if he's on a 15 minute interview on a sports station and he answers every question in four minutes, that he only gets three or four questions. So I figure if I keep these really, really long answers and the dagger question you guys are known for never shows up. Um, So a really good friend of mine named Mark Teitelman. I'll give another shout out to a friend who actually has won. He won the Emmy for, I'm actually Adam. I bet you probably have worked with him. Um, he won the Emmy for the Women's World Cup a few years ago, producing and directing that. I think he now is doing CBS uh, football um, as a director. Um, he and I in college started, at Occidental College, started something called Tiger Sports Radio. Um, I actually have the article in the up on my wall of the Glendale News Press, which was the Oxy Radio team filling the gap. And it's the two of us. Ironically enough, I'm wearing a Ski Utah shirt in this picture. Um, we had found out about this radio station KIV in LA that um, you we could buy time to call Occidental College sporting events so that's how we we got that one funded by the school and so when that was over then I probably initiated the conversation but said to my dad like hey what happens if I spent the summer here and just did like a got it was Sunday night at 10 30 it wasn't like he bought prime time it was like the single right like least listen to time the show was called balls and strikes um I interviewed like everybody from Vin Scully to Kirby Puckett um and then I planted calls so that I would have a resume tape um so what you would hear Adam was me as a young interviewer that probably wasn't very good interviewing high profile people I shouldn't have any right to talk to and with friends planted as callers saying things that I knew what they were so that I could have a prepared <laughs> response. So I'd have a good resume tape. Yeah. Naturally that that's what we would all did in college radio call right. in, Hey, call in at this time, call in at this time. Here's what you should ask. Absolutely. Right. Like one guy called in, I had Phil call in about how Steve Young's better than Joe Montana. And then I annihilated him. Like it was all, it's all set up. <laughs> The, po- the podcast network that we're fortunate to be a part of has made major moves over the past week or so with Tegna, the monster local media company buying the network and then the the sales and content deal with Intercom that came out this morning as we record this on Wednesday afternoon. What is the pie in the sky goal for the network now with these two partnerships? Probably have to be a little, I'm learning. I have to be a little careful of that because now we're part of a publicly traded company. And so you have to be a little careful of like the pie in the sky future things because you're freaked out by people. Um, Yeah. So uh, my personal pie in the sky uh, for the next few years is to change the lives of 25 of our talent. Like I think we have really, really talented people in a 
sports broadcasting world right now that has got no way for young talent to make their way through the business. Um, like, you know, you, my wife was a longtime sports reporter and she went like from Sioux city, Iowa to Lexington, Kentucky to King five in Seattle. You know, I was fortunate. I started in salt Lake. Um, but you know, you used to go from, you know, Billings, Montana, to salt Lake to somewhere like those jobs don't exist anymore. So, um, I'm hoping that we can, that's my personal one. Um, I think with the power of, I mean, I'm pretty overwhelmingly excited about what we can do with the power of Tegna and Entercom and a combination of like a show, like we're going to build some shows together. I mean, I don't need to go too far here because you can probably start to put it together, but Tegna is going to be a major player in OTT. They have 51 local TV markets they're in. Entercom has 20 some odd sports radio, you know, 30 sports radio stations. They're in every market imaginable. They like, we could put together an OTT show that is both a TV show, OTT radio show and a podcast and be, and probably pull some pretty highly impressive talent at that point. Um, so that specific partnership really just took the intercom partnership was actually done before the sale to Tegna, but it's, it's, it's a better partnership now than it was then um, with Tegna. I think one is we just got a powerhouse behind us that can help us promote locally. Our, our, our two biggest struggles as a network were how do we market locally and how do we sell locally? Well, Entercom is going to be able to self help us sell locally and regionally. And, 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 and then Tegna is going to be able to market us locally. So we've addressed our two biggest issues as a podcast network. Now, now, are we just a podcast network anymore, or do we actually try to build an OTT sports network in some capacity that is available? And I think the answer to that is yes. You start this Lockdown Podcast Network in the summer of 2016. Well, I guess I'll ask this first, and then I'll, I'll follow up with you. But Because you, you know start this in the, answer the second one if you ask a two-part question. That's, that's what I'm kind of terrified about. Um, <laughs> no, but you start the podcast network in, in summer of 2016, at that point, what is it that you noticed that was missing in the marketplace that that made you think this was a good idea? So uh, I was a program director in Salt in the 90s. And as good as Jim Rome and, and all those other shows were, local shows always had a better audience than Jim Rome. What the magic of Jim Rome was is that he was on in 50 markets across the country and you could sell it that way. So those two pieces of knowledge were one that local is more important than Fans want, you know, fans are fans of their team, not their sport more often than not, right? You're a fan of the New York Knicks, not the NBA. Now you become a fan of the NBA because you're a fan of the Knicks, but you not the other way around. And so that was the first piece that I knew that locally was more important. So let's launch a podcast network where teams actually get their, their team on demand. Um, there's a lot, three parts to this. So that was part one, like, okay. Part two is, well, wait a sec. How do we sell it? Wait a sec. We use the Jim Rome model to sell it. We go get ourselves in every single market the same way Jim Rome used to. And then we sell it as in that model. So you're actually taking what you kind of believe in and what you don't believe, but you, you take a piece of each of it. And then the third part was that the last thing in the world that wasn't on demand seemed to be sports talk radio, right? If you wanted to hear your favorite radio host Noah Kozlov and he came on at four o'clock you had to wait to four o'clock to hear him and if you were in Philadelphia and you're a big Phillies fan he might be talking about the Eagles 
In fact, he likely is talking about the Eagles. So if you're a Phillies fan, we're not going to make you wait to see whether the one, you may not get your guy and two, you might not get your team. So we're going to give you your team every day on demand. And then we dropped the on demand because it was obvious in our slogan. So that's why we, that's the mod. That's your team every day. The, the, the other thing, if I'm being perfectly honest and I don't want to sound like high and mighty, everyone was doing these hour and a half long hubris pieces. Like, they just were like, who has an hour and a half? And I would notice that even the ones I really liked, I, it would take me three and four different listens. Well, every single time I stopped, I had to make the choice to listen again. And as podcasts began to proliferate and there were more of them, my cho- more often than not, my choice was that something else had just come out like rejecting the screen that was more interesting than what I was just listening to. And so... I wouldn't go to it. So that's why we went short and daily so that we became a part of your hamster wheel routine of life. Now, COVID decided to blow that up, but we're trying to re- regain that a little bit. But that's the model behind the podcast network where those little pieces of, of the landscape. At what point did you realize, oh man, this is even even bigger than, than I anticipated? What was, what was the day where you said, oh, man, this, is, this thing is big? I don't know. I mean, I like remember the first month where we had a hundred thousand in billing. That was right. So you're going to, on that pace, you're going to break a million. Um, so I, I remember that day, like that was like, Oh, wait a sec. Like, Oh, we like, we do that for a whole year. And it was it was like a November, a September, October, November, if I remember somewhere in there. And so that's not something you're not going to pace that way for the whole year, but you suddenly realize you're capable. Um, when we brought we brought on a, I see our COO Carl Weinstein in 2018. That that was a inflection moment where it was clear there was something to build upon. Like that we we either I either had to decide that it what it was too big for me to manage anymore. So I either had to decide to bring somebody in or or pivot or do something. So 2018 would be the answer. And when Carl came on, I think that's the reality. Um there were some meetings along the way where we sat across from people that were like, oh, wow, we're sitting across from this meeting with this person. Like, oh, like we're legit. Um, I can't say what they were. Um, there was also a month where we didn't pay anyone. Like, like, let's never forget. Like there was a month where there were, I had to send out an email to all of the hosts that said, sorry, there will not be a check this month because there was no revenue. So that happened. And, you know, that I think is the month I remember more than any other. I don't know if that's that whole idea that like you always remember your failures, but I really remember everyone who stuck with us through that. Um, And there was, there's a, there's a guy by the name of Eric Hess who works for audio boom. If we ever wrote the history of lockdown as a part of it, like, I guess if we're just, you guys are good at, I'll tell a funny story. So I couldn't really get, Eric was hundred percent on board and an unbelievable guy. I couldn't get like audio boom to get my vision. Like it just couldn't and struggling back and forth with it. And Eric's amazing. And I we're in, I'm in sun river, Oregon. I'm on the deck of a condo in a vacation place and I snap and I am now like losing it. I've worked my beep off for this beep and long and you're about to destroy my beep and company. Like I'm just like, Eric's like, calm down (laughs) like the stress 
I just snapped like the stress of building this company and feeling like it was on the precipice of not making it and being a failure. Like, like, so my vivid moments are probably that sun river, Oregon deck. And, um, and then also just the month without checks. My wife tells the story, like there was a summer where she wanted to go on vacation and I was building the network. So she literally drove while I called like host the entire hiring people. And she was always like, if I heard that pitch one more time, <laughs> and there was like a line I had in the pitch, which was our, our goal is to supplement your income. Our goal is eventually maybe to be, help you, you know, be your income. Our goal is to supplement your income, but right now we're going to supplement your vacation. You're going to get a nicer dinner on vacation. You might stay in a little nicer hotel room, but I'm really not certain that we're going to be able to supplement your income yet. We'll get there. And hopefully one day we'll be, be able to be big enough to be your income. And she always like, if I heard that one more time. <laughs> you mentioned Eric Heiss. I know Eric. I worked with Eric at, at MLB Advanced Media. Now yeah. I need, now I need, now I need oh, to yeah. call Eric and you ask him. You should about, call about you about you freaking out on the deck of a vacation home. I I, I was I tempered that story down because I got embarrassed halfway through about what I did. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, he's I a, know. He's a great dude, and um, yeah. you know he. You know what though? Like, we're not done. We got a long way to go. Still, I mean, we're done with stage one, right? We're done with being a small startup, and we're now part of. Mm -hmm. There are these people along the way who believed, like I as someone who built a company and you're kind of on your Island and like, we were everything. My wife was the doing the books and the voice per, and the voice of the network. And I was doing right. Like, and we were at, that was it. It was only us. Um, there's people along the way that believed like Eric Heiss the whole time. I was like, Oh, I get it. I understand what you're doing. Like if it's not for the Eric Heiss the world, he couldn't execute it inside his company. Right. Which was too bad. But he, if it wasn't for the Eric Heisses of the world, I have two people here, Jim Olson and Don Sterling in Salt Lake City that believed and kind of helped me. Like those little lunches along the way where you say, yeah, you're okay, you got it. Like one of my really good friends is this New Yorker now lives out here named Robbie Altman. He's got this great energy about him. And 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 he was always like, it's amazing, it's amazing. It'll be incredible, it'll be incredible. I promise you, it'll be incredible. Like if those little, I don't know if people realize like how much that matters, but those are the ones that like, you just keep going because of it. And there are, there are a lot, you I, I, don't, I never got to the point like we were ever close to like, there were just some days. I mean, there were days where like, I remember one day I said to my wife, if this thing ever, like, I, this isn't, this tells you kind of how jacked up my head is, but I think my comment was like, if I'm ever on Guy Raz's How I Built This, this will be the flipping day he starts the show with. Like, like everything had gone wrong. We were like teetering on just like, it's, the network is going to be over by the end of the day. Um, and I don't even, and honestly, I don't actually remember. I have a bad memory. I don't, I don't remember bad things. So I don't remember what they were, but I do remember specifically like saying that to my wife, like, Oh my gosh, like this is the day you start the show with. That's just great that you're thinking about being on how I built this. Yeah, I didn't, we, we were, we were, we were a lot of zeros short of that. All right, we'll close with this, as we oftentimes do on Rejecting the Screen, a conversation the guys used to have in the back of the bus in the 80s about who you'd want to have the ball in their hands to win the game, can't say Jordan. And your buddy Corey Jez thought I meant can't say Jordan Clarkson, which I think is just <laughs> amazing because he actually thought I meant 
Jordan Clarkson instead of <laughs> Michael Jordan. But of all the guys that you have called games for as a home announcer, so Sonics that year in the Utah Jazz for the past 12 years, who would you give the ball to to reject the screen, go ISO, get your team a bucket? So I'll give you two if I can. Is that allowed? I should be no. considering the fact that I was the Jazz halftime uh, post-game pregame show host when Jordan beat us in the finals twice. I should be able to say Jordan because um, I have pain and scars from it. Um, I I would go Ray Allen um, the year I covered him in Seattle. I mean, he's just the greatest shooter I've ever seen. Um, and if he's fading left, it's going in. Like, as a play-by-play announcer, there's certain, like, tells you can tell. Like, right? Like, Donovan comes up with his prance, and I know what's about to happen. Um, when Ray Allen was fading left, you could get into the call. Like, you could start the call before it went through the net. Um, the only other one I would just mention, just because I think it's relevant to today. So my answer is Ray Allen. But I think it's Nikola Jokic. Like, I think Jokic is the clutchest player we have in the game today in a modern way that is every bit as Jordan-esque and maybe more difficult to guard than Jordan. Like, Nowitzki took it to a level because he was seven feet. And now you have Jokic and just, like, if I was an opposing team on a modern player today, the player I'm most fearful, not LeBron, not Anthony Davis, not Joel Embiid, not, like, whomever, not Bradley Beal, is is Nikola Jokic in a 92-92 game with 20 seconds left. He's not rejecting the screen, but he's getting himself a shot. He's going to always get himself a good shot, and if you try to take it out of his hands, he is going to get a layup for somebody. So, to me, Jokic is that player right now. He's Larry Bird, and he's 7-1. Very appropriate that we started the conversation with Rudy Gobert and end with Nikola Jokic. International game, isn't it? Certainly is. All right, so you can listen to David Locke on the Thursday edition of Locked on NBA. And, of course, you can hear him on all the Utah Jazz games as the longtime radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Locke, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Hope I made someone smile and laugh somewhere along the way. So I assume we just get a raise for doing that, or maybe because we took up so much of his time, then that actually comes out of our checks and we actually lost money on this podcast. But either way, it's all about the content itself. And I enjoyed the conversation. I really did too. You know, I I knew some things, but it's always interesting going back and researching a person's background. And I'll say one point that he brought up almost, I don't want to say that he sounded a bit embarrassed, but he talked about the idea of privilege with his dad you know, purchasing that radio airtime. But I'll tell you what, a lot of parents, if they can afford it, they'll do whatever they can to make sure that their their children have a better life. And what an investment in their future. And as opposed to saying, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for your trip to Italy or hey, I'm gonna buy you a nicer car or I'm gonna put money into to this so you can invest it. The, he literally invested in his son's career and you have to give David's father, Hal, credit, because all all throughout David's life, it seemed like Hal kept pushing him. I know this is what you want to do. I know it's what you love. It's your passion. You're really good at it. Like, you need to do this. And uh, that encouragement, we all need people like that in our lives. And uh, I thought that was just a fascinating story. Yeah, I think if you have the resources in order to advance 
someone you love, and especially if it's your child, their career, then then you use it. It's not like the college scandal where there's all sorts of lying on. This was a genuine, true investment in your child that I understand how he felt, but I, I don't think there's a, a need to apologize for that. It's also easy to say, oh, look what he did, considering his dad gave him that, that gave him the opportunity. The part of the story that we didn't get to mention that I think is important also, he went on a road trip around the country delivering demo reels person looking for jobs. So there is no question that throughout David Locke's life, he has hustled. Yeah, and it's just like any of our other conversations where you never know where the conversation is going to go and we, you know, you leave things on the table. I had interviewed Locke a few years ago for, and, and you couldn't make it that day for our, for the previous iteration of our podcast. And he told me when he, he was dyslexic and having to overcome that and look at where he is. It is, it's impressive. So you can check out Locke on Thursdays, Locked on NBA, the national program that he does with Ben Golliver and the Washington Post. But there is a national show, Locked on NBA, five days a week. Also, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, Hollinger and Duncan, John Hollinger and Nate Duncan. There is Locked on Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd. And if you want to go back and listen to a fun conversation, personal one with Josh Lloyd, you can do that on the Rejecting the Screen feed that we did just a few weeks ago. And of course, your team every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're on Instagram sometimes at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Frank Isola, unable to join us on today's program. Maybe next time. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best. This episode was brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana. 10 design masters have each produced a set of 10 uniquely beautiful diamond rings, and they're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com. This exciting collection of truly unique limited edition diamond engagement rings is available now only at BlueNile.com.